listening to Let the Bible Speak. Let the Bible Speak is the radio ministry of the Free Presbyterian Church. Stephen Pollock is the pastor of Free Presbyterian Church of Malvern, Pennsylvania. The church is located at the junction of 401 and Mallon Road. Thank you for joining us today as Dr. Pollock opens the Word of God and lets the Bible speak. Thank you for joining us again for another episode of Let the Bible Speak. Let me wish you a happy and blessed new year. I trust you'll know the Lord to be present in every aspect of your life in the days to come. Today's message is an edited version of a sermon from Daniel 11 and the verse number 32. But the people that do know their God shall be strong and do exploits. The full version is available on sermonaudio.com forward slash Malvern. And I trust that today it will be a blessing to your heart. Let's buy in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we pray you take your word today. Use it in the lives of all who hear. Save the lost and edify your people. In Jesus' name, amen. The words of our text at the end of verse number 32 are generally well known among the Lord's people. You hear them prayed over, you hear them referred to at different times. However, the setting and the fulfillment of the words are more challenging. Hence, people tend to pull them out of context and just meditate upon the text. I'm going to do something very similar to that. I really am going to just ask you to meditate upon the words, the text, and consider them carefully. Except I want to make a couple of comments that should really encourage us regarding its relevance and hope for our day. Let me borrow some words from Mr. Spurgeon. He says this, The uninspired book of the Maccabees is perhaps the best interpreter of this passage in Daniel now, if I had said that, you might have raised your eyebrows. Well, these are the words of Mr. Spurgeon. He says this, The prophet, we think, refers to the great persecution under Antiochus, when the followers of Judas Maccabees, knowing their God and keeping close to him amidst general defection, refused to bow before the idols of Syria. Now, we understand that the apocryphal books of Maccabees are not inspired, but they are records of history. And therefore, they do give us some insight into what happened in the days following the Old Testament canon prior to the New Testament beginning. And so Spurgeon and a good number of authorities take the view that in verse number 21, there's a reference here to a man referred to as Antiochus. He took to himself the title Epiphanes. Now, it's one of those words, it's hard necessarily to pronounce, and uh, the correct pronunciation is up for debate. It could be Epiphanes, depends how you emphasize your syllables. I say Epiphanes because he was also known as Epimanus. He referred to himself as Epiphanes, the illustrious. Others referred to him as Epimanus, the madman. He was a man of great wickedness. And so you read here in Daniel 11 a prophecy of some of the persecutions that he would bring about to the people of God. Verse number 33, they shall fall by the sword and by flame and by captivity and by spoil many days. Time of deceit, 
The people of God, many of them falling away. They were those in verse 32 who are doing wickedly against the covenant. Shall he corrupt by flatteries? Time of apostasy. A time of falling away. A time of persecution. And yet, praise God, there were some that were strong. Many believe that the time that is referred to here is a time that is referenced in Hebrews chapter 11. Turn to Hebrews 11 briefly. And in Hebrews 11, at the end of the end of the catalogue, the gallery of the faithful, there are references that it's difficult to put an exact point to in the revelation of the Old Testament. And so you have there, down in the verse number 36, Others had trial of cruel mockings and scourgings. Yea, moreover of bonds and imprisonments. They were stoned. They were sawn asunder. Were tempted with slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins. Being destitute, afflicted, tormented. Of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and in mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And these all, having obtained a good report through faith, received not the promise. It's a reference perhaps to those who in the times of Antiochus Epiphanes were suffering greatly at the hands of such a persecutor and yet they were strong. They were those who by faith held on to the promises of God. And so in dark times God is pleased to preserve a remnant to serve him, a remnant to keep the light burning. This has been a challenging year in so many ways. This nation has seen things in the past year that we did not expect to see in this time last year. And so, perhaps this year, there are many in the Christian church who began to ask the question, what will happen when real persecution falls upon the people of God? There has been fear. I wonder, is this the beginning of some persecution against the people of God? I don't believe we're in those times yet, but they may well come. And they may well come soon. Hence, I believe it is a time for us to reflect upon the language of the remnant. That there are those who in difficult times do know their God. And they shall be strong. And they shall do exploits. So very simply... I want to begin by thinking about the obedient service of the Lord's remnant. As we examine this remnant, let's consider their obedient service. The people here are seen in a positive light. In all of the darkness, in all of the persecution, yes, in all of the apostasy, they are holding on to God. They're not forsaking the covenant. They're not turning their back against God. They are those who know their God. And one of the marks of their knowledge of God is that they continue to serve the Lord even in the midst of persecution. They know their God, they are strong, and they do exploits. The temptation for the persecuted people is to fall back into the shadows. We've read of them hiding in dens and caves. There was a need perhaps to preserve life, but they were faithful even in those things. When the Lord's cause is not popular, when his way is not the way of the majority, then the tendency is for there to be a falling away. When iniquity abounds, Matthew 4, the love of many waxes cold. 
Yet the godly remnant is seen doing what a godly remnant does. They are doers. Those that know their God shall be strong and do. You know, the word exploits there is in italics, but it does give the sense of the word. It is a, it is a vivid word. Speaking of those who continue to bravely serve God in a challenging time. The Lord's people, they are saved to serve. We use that term often, and it is again a time for reminder. We know that in Ephesians chapter 2, we totally understand that we're not saved by works. It's by grace alone through faith. We understand that. And yet never neglect verse number 10, that we are God's workmanship. We are created in Christ Jesus as we're made new unto good works. Works that God has foreordained. There's no such thing as a Christian who is not serving God. The work of grace so works in our souls that we are made to serve by grace. His work, his spirit in our lives produce acts of service and obedience to our God. When we think of the words of James in James chapter 2. Where a man will say, Thou hast faith and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works. And I will show thee my faith by my works. As we enter a new year, Christ would have us be doing. Serving faithfully. See, those who know God in the midst of apostasy, in the midst of ungodliness and persecution, they seek to do the will of God, they seek to stand for the truth of God, they seek to serve the body of Christ. I'm not preaching duty and works here. I'm preaching the sense that this is what God does in those who know him. They do exploits. So if that's the obedient service, what about the ongoing strength of the Lord's remnant? You see, I'm taking this text backwards. We've thought about how they do exploits. And it says, they that know their God shall be strong. Sometimes we think of strength and we think of power. We think of might. It's not really the idea of the word here. The word that is used is a very, very general word. It's used hundreds of times in the Old Testament in various forms. But the concept here is the idea of firmness, of stability, of being resolute. It's the opposite again of those who are against the covenant, verse number 32. There are those who have fallen away. And the contrast is there are those who are strong. Despite all the flatteries, despite all the mockeries, they are resolute, they are firm, and they stand. They do not apostatize. Oh, the New Testament is full of such equivalents. You think of Hebrews chapter 3, verse 6. Christ as a son over his own house, whose house we are, if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm unto the end. 1 Corinthians 16, watch ye, stand fast in the faith, quit ye like men, be strong. Ephesians 6, wherefore take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to stand in the evil day, and having done all to stand, stand therefore. Resolute determination not to be pushed aside, not to be pushed back, not to be pushed down, not to be pushed over. Therefore, my brethren, dearly beloved, and long for my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved. Philippians chapter 4. 
First Thessalonians chapter 3, now, for now we live if we stand fast in the Lord. Therefore, brethren, stand fast. Almost every epistle to your church has some determination to the people of God to keep on standing. Why? Because it's so easy to fall over. Our own remaining sin, the pressure of the world, the climate in which we live, there's so little to discourage, so much to discourage a child of God. And so we, we want to be those who, who know faith and not fear. We want to be those who know courage and not cowardice. We need this today. We need to be those who stand for what God stands for and against all that is against the word of God. That's just a comment regarding their ongoing strength. Which leads really to the main point, of course, of the message And that is the open secret of the strength of the remnant. But the people that do know their God shall be strong. What gives strength in the midst of such troubling days is the relationship of the Lord's people with the Lord. They they know their God. I want to show you this from man's perspective initially, uh, and then we'll turn it from God's perspective. First of all, from man's perspective, we understand that those who know God rely on the Lord. You'll appreciate that knowing God is much deeper than knowing about God, but it is based upon knowing about God. Hence, verse number 33 refers to those with understanding. Understanding that generates faith and reliance on the Lord. A knowledge of God's attributes that produces stability and strength. Knowing who God is, is essential to Christian stability. And those who know about God then rely on God. And I thought for simplicity, I would just borrow the language of the catechism. God is a spirit, infinite, eternal, unchangeable in his being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. It's a wonderful outline, presentation of who God is. God who is only wise. Who at all times, eternally, infinitely, unchangeably has known, does know what he is doing. And does all things with perfect wisdom. A God of infinite, eternal, unchangeable power. And you read in Isaiah chapter 46, verse number 9, Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is none else. I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times the things that are not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure, calling a ravenous bird from the east, the man that executeth my counsel from a far country. Yea, I have spoken it. I will also bring it to pass. I have purposed it and I will also do it. A God of power is a God who always perfectly does what he purposes to do. God of holiness. God who sees the evil around and his eyes are too pure to behold such iniquity. God of justice. He does what is right in all his ways. He is always just. He is always right even when men are not. A God of goodness. God is good and doeth good. It speaks of God's kindness, God's benevolence. He loves his people and is kind. A God of truth. What he says is true and we can believe what he says. And what he purposes to do, he will fulfill. He keeps all his promises. 
You know these things, and we can, we can spend so much time going over the various attributes of God, but believing these things gives us great stability. Each of his attributes are eternal and unchangeable. He's the infinite God. There are no limits to all that he is. And so you see in the language of the Bible that the people of God are encouraged in light of who God is. You turn back to First Chronicles chapter 28. Our knowledge of God enables us to then do things that are bold, brave, exploits. First Chronicles 28 and the verse number 20. And David said to Solomon, his son, be strong and of good courage and do it. Fear not, nor be dismayed, for the Lord God, even my God, will be with thee. He will not fail thee, nor forsake thee, until thou hast finished all the work for the service of the house of the Lord. Strength and stability arises out of a proper understanding of God. God is, and he rewards those that diligently seek him, and he will never, ever forsake them. You see how the knowledge of God then is used to motivate and to empower the service of those who are walking in his ways? Let me apply this in very modern terms. Nothing in 2020 took God by surprise. He is the God who is infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in his being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. Nothing in 2020 has even slightly hindered God from doing his will. Nothing in 2020 has lessened the power of the gospel. The blood of Christ is powerful to cleanse souls today as it was at the end of 2019. Nothing in 2020 has kept one elect soul out of glory. Nope. Everything in 2020 has been given by a kind God to a people he loves for their good, for his glory, and for the building of his church. Believing in God is what gives the people of God stability. Fear not, have faith, be stable and be strong, because those who know their God rely on the Lord. Secondly, from the perspective of the Lord, and this, this I think, is, is actually the key aspect of the verse. And that is that those who know God are the objects of God's covenantal love. This idea of knowing God is, of course, relational. We often look at uh, Daniel, 9, Daniel 11, 32, and see it as a, as a duty text. And I'll apply it that way at the end. There are responsibilities that flow out of the text. But it is, it is a text that announces definite certainties. The people that do know their God shall be strong. Uh, Calvin takes those words, shall be strong, and says the idea, they shall strengthen themselves. But either way, it is emphasizing the work of God in those whom he loves. Those who know God are loved by God and love God. 
And thus, those who know God in the midst of apostasy and persecution, those who know God have been saved by grace. It is the language of the new covenant. All shall know me. Along with sins forgiven, they come to know God relationally, experientially. It's a promise of grace. Paul would tell the Galatians, now after that you've known God, or rather are known of God. Those who come to know God relationally are those who have been known of God from all eternity. I'm going to pause for a moment or two and just ask you the question, do you know God in this way today? Are you in a right relationship with God? Not do you know the attributes of God, not can you quote the catechism, but rather are you in a relationship with God where you can say, the Lord loves me and I love the Lord. Without that, you'll never be strong. You'll never do exploits to the kingdom of God. Oh, you, you may do something good in your workplace or do something good for society. But when it comes to those things that really count, only those in a right relationship with God are those who do exploits to the Lord. See, those who know God are in this right relationship. Therefore, God cares for them. God knows us, he cares for us, he sees us, he knows us, he hears us. We've access to him in prayer, we know God. We've access to infinite grace. And therefore, God is committed to work his grace in us, and we are made strong by his power. Strength is not found in ourselves, never can be. It's found in the power of God. So, turn back to Isaiah 41. And bask in the glorious truths and the promises of the word of God towards those who are in a right relationship with God. Isaiah 41. But thou, Israel, art my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, whom I have known, the seed of Abraham, my friend, thou whom I have taken from the ends of the earth, and called thee from the chief men thereof, and said unto thee, Thou art my servant, I have chosen thee, and not cast thee away. Fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee. Yea, I will help ye. They, yea, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. Verse number 13, For I, the Lord thy God, will hold thy right hand. It's interesting, the word for hold that is used there in verse number 13 is the same word that's used for strength in Daniel chapter 11. I, the Lord, will by strength hold thy right hand. Divine strength, eternal strength. Saying unto thee, fear not, I will help thee. Fear not, thy worm, Jacob, and ye men of Israel. I will help thee, saith the Lord, and thy Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. And so, we have the assurance of God's power in those who know God. Hence, the text can say what it says, that those who do know their God shall be strong. Well, let me close with a couple of comments of application. It's often the case when you leave a year and enter a new year, there is a time of reflection and resolution. Let me ask you, let me plead with you as a child of God, resolve to live for God as you live in this world. Make that your burden. 
In light of the responsibility to do your exploits, make it your determined resolution. And that whatever happens in 2021, you are going to live for God. Such an obvious, simple thing. Dozens, hundreds of preachers will say it across this country, across the world in the next week or so. I'm just going to join the company, resolve to live for your God. It's easily said, but you look at your last year. How did it go? How did it go for me? How did it go for all of us? Resolve to be much in the word. Resolve to know your God. Resolve that in understanding you'll be men. Spurgeon says this, Let us study to be well instructed in the divine attributes and ask for grace to know them all. Knowing God as he's revealed in the word of God is fundamental to stability and to strength and to service. A weak church full of people who know all about the world and little about the word is a church that surrenders to all of the Antiochus epiphanies of this world. So resolve too much in the word. To study the scriptures. To be in the house of God where God is. To be here as often as you possibly can. That you be in the presence of God. That you would deepen your relationship with the Lord. Resolve to hope in the Lord. Who knows? Who knows what's going to happen next year? And so therefore, you've got to wake up every day saying, whatever happens to my life today, I'm going to hope in God's. He's reliable, he's dependable, he's unchangeable, and he's a good and kind and gracious God who does all things well. And upon that, I'm going to live my life. Hence, we are stable and not blown about. I have a popular book, it's an old book on Daniel, written first in 1982. The man says this, No oppression has served to do anything except ultimately to further the spread of gospel truth. Let me say it again. No oppression has served to do anything except ultimately to further the spread of gospel truth. God's plants do not thrive in greenhouses, but in wind, hail, snow, and burning heat. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode of Let the Bible Speak from Malvern Free Presbyterian Church. If you'd like more information about the gospel or the church, please call 610-993-3170 or email malvernfpc at yahoo.com. We extend an invitation to all to join us as we worship the Lord each week. You will be made very welcome. The church is situated at 80 Mallon Road, Malvern, Pennsylvania, at the junction of 401 and Mallon Road. We meet for worship on the Lord's Day at 11 a.m. and 6 p.m. A Bible study and prayer meeting is also held on Wednesday evening at 7 p.m. We preach Christ crucified.